Support for IPR comes from Corridor Vein Center and Corridor Aesthetics, treatment for varicose veins and spider veins, also providing facial rejuvenation services and treatment for moderate to severe acne. More at Corridor Vein and CorridorAesthetics.com. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Byron's Bar in Pomeroy, Iowa, a little town of about 500 people in between Fort Dodge and Storm Lake, is a musical mecca for many. Musicians love to play Byron's and music fans love to be there for intimate Sunday night performances. But after 28 years in business and a triumphant comeback post-pandemic, Byron's is at risk. The 1896 building that houses the bar seems to have some structural problems, and proprietor Byron Stewart has 90 days to figure out a plan or face getting shut down. Friends and fans have already started rallying around, but the future of Byron's is up in the air, and Byron Stewart is on the line with me now. Hello, Byron. Hello, Charity. It's wonderful to talk to you. And before we talk about what's going on right now, I'd love to go back in time. Tell me how Byron's got started. Oh, well, uh, I had to move back to Pomeroy because my dad had a heart attack and I had to farm for a year. And then I just started bartending in the bars up here. Finally, uh, in 1996, I bought this place. And I knew right away that I wanted to have live music, and I started with a friend of mine who played acoustic guitar. His name's Larry Meyer, and he he started it, and he told me about Rob Lombard from Des Moines, and then uh, they just started telling me about other bands. And my first national act was Todd Snyder in March 4, 2001. Having a national act in a little bar in Pomeroy, I mean, that was a huge victory that first time, but it just kept on happening. Well, yeah, I guess uh, not every place is really nice to the bands, uh, and and I was, and they spread my word across the whole United States, and, and people just started calling me and wanting to play here, and and it's just, I had 73 shows last year, and I never called one person to play here. Wow, that's amazing. And so you're nice to the bands. Tell me how you treat the bands that sets you apart. I don't, I, you know, I don't know what other people do. I just know that when they come in there, I give them a big hug, ask them what they, would, what they need, show them where they're going to set up, and, and just let them go for it and... Uh, and then I've cultivated an audience that actually comes to listen to the music. Because I will shush you if you're talking and the music is playing. <laughs> I, I have heard that you will shush people. So tell me a little bit about your feelings about live music. Because clearly this is a pretty powerful experience for you. Oh, yes. I, you know, I can't explain it. I just, it feels, it fills my soul. When I listen to live music, I can't watch it on TV if it's a, even it's a live performance. It's not the same as actually being there. It could be the sound and everything. I, I don't know what it is. I just know that uh, that I feel really good after a live performance. I have been reading some of the very nice things that people have been saying about playing in Byron's and, and people talk about magic and they talk about community 
when you bring an audience together, when you have one of these acts, what does it feel like to you in your bar? Well, like you said, it feels like a family. Most of these people come quite a bit, and they travel from Sioux City, from Spencer, almost every show to to watch music here and get a lot of hugs, get a lot of I love yous, and everybody is... Everybody doesn't necessarily know each other. They just know that they're all here to listen to some great music. It feels like you've not only built a community around music, but you've built a place where people can really be authentically themselves. Do you feel that? Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, and Anybody is welcome in here. Uh, just don't screw it up. <laughs> How could they screw it up? What what are what are some of the no nos on your list besides talking when somebody's performing? Well, that's the main one, the talking. But if, you know, if you start a fight, that's that's not good. My place just exudes peace and love, and and fighting is just not tolerated at all in here. Usually, you can see it starting, and you can get it taken care of. But that's during the week. That's not during my live music. My live music, everybody in here is very peaceful. Well, and and you're famous for having these live acts on Sunday nights, which you talk about people traveling from a long way away. They're traveling on a Sunday evening to come to your bar to listen to this music. Do you do shows on Sundays? Because that's usually when musicians have a break from other gigs. Well, no, it was more the quiet thing. During the week, I have people that will come in and they they just want to drink. They don't want to listen to music. So uh, I can't really, I all, all I can do those days is tell them to, to keep, be quiet. During Sunday show, because I wasn't open on Sundays, I only started opening to have music. On those days, that's my day. I can tell you to shut up on those days. <laughs> and now... Tie-dye tends to be your work uniform. There's definitely a Grateful Dead theme in the bar. Was that planned from the start? Well, to tell you the truth, when I first opened, I said, I'm not going to make this a Grateful Dead shrine. And then the very first day that I opened, some girls gave me a framed T-shirt of Jerry Garcia. And it's just gotten out of hand since then. (laughs) So... Uh, tell me a little bit. Give me some of the highlights. I mean, you've had Canned Heat play yeah, Byron. Canned Heat, Canned Heat called me up and said, we've heard about your bar. Wanted to know if we could play on this Sunday night. And it just happened to be my 50th birthday weekend. So how many people can say that Canned Heat played for their 50th birthday? And it was just amazing. It was just, uh, I, I'm smiling now just thinking about it. So we do need to talk about the building. There are some structural problems with your building, and you don't quite know the the depth of the problems yet, but you've been given 90 days by the Pomeroy City Council to get a structural engineer in there and to make a plan. Tell me, tell me what you're facing. Well, I don't really know. I'm, I'm not a structural engineer. I feel very safe in this building. I'm not worried about it falling down in the next 20 years, actually, but they are. And, you know, after the Davenport building collapsed, every little town is now worried about their liability and this sort of thing. And uh, so we'll see what happens. 
I've always been a really lucky person, so I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty dis depressed over it. But I think things will work out the way they're supposed to. Do you have a plan? Uh, no, we're working on it. I got you know, like you say, I have a bunch of friends, and we're starting up a committee to get some things going and figure out stuff. Tell me a little bit about Pomeroy, because you're on a block with a lot of old buildings, but am I right in, in saying that your bar is the only going concern on that block? Uh, no, the other buildings are more concerned. Mine is just collateral damage. Well, no, I'm, I'm saying uh, you, you're you're the the business that's thriving on that block. I'm the only business okay. on this block, other than the post office and bank. Oh wow! But Pumroy was hit by a tornado in in uh, let's see, 1893, and right after that, this building was built. So it is quite old. Uh, it was built very well. I don't, I don't know what to say. It's a, uh, but the other building, the other buildings down the block, haven't been in use for thirty years, and they've just been sitting there. Are there other possible places that you could move to in Pomeroy? Oh no, they've already torn all those, all the other buildings down. You're also 71 years old, Brian, Byron. Have you have you thought about retirement? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, but my my Sunday music is just what's been keeping keeping me going. So I don't I don't know what what's going to happen if I don't have my Sunday music. We'll we'll see. It, you know I can't I can't predict the future, and I don't want to. There has been already quite an outpouring of support for you personally and your bar. How does that feel? It's, I'm getting verklempt just thinking about it. Uh, it's, it's, it warms my heart that all these people care about me. And I'm, I'm just so happy that I've been nice to people. I guess that works. Well, they care about you an awful lot. And and people from all over the world care about you, not just here in Iowa. Yeah, I've had uh I've had people from Australia here. I've had people from England here. Uh yeah, I've had Kinky Friedman played here two two times. Wow. You've built something really special and even if the bar goes that community you've built doesn't disappear, but this must feel like a, a really scary time. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I was planning on retiring after this year because I'm I'm already booked every Sunday till September, just by people calling me, and I don't want to. I want to see these. I want to see these bands. If it isn't in here, I hope I can find somewhere else where I can listen to them. Are there, I know we talked about places you could move and there don't seem to be a lot of options. Are there other other places nearby where you could put on shows? Oh, possibly, yeah. All right. Well, it sounds like you're you're exploring a lot of options, but I hope you're able to keep this magic going. 
Well, thank you. Byron Stewart, thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks so much. Love you. Byron Stewart is the proprietor of Byron's Bar in Pomeroy, a legendary live music venue in danger of closing down because of structural problems. Friends and fans are starting to rally around, and in a moment, I'll talk with a couple of them. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Support for IPR comes from Corridor Vein Center and Corridor Aesthetics, treatment for varicose veins and spider veins, also providing facial rejuvenation services and treatment for moderate to severe acne. More at Corridor Vein and CorridorAesthetics.com. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion including Above and Beyond Cancer. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we will meet one of the newest members of Iowa's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and he just happens to work for IPR. But right now, we are talking about a beloved music venue in Pomeroy, Iowa. It's Byron's Bar, and it has become a musical mecca for many with intimate Sunday night performances that draw fans and musicians from many miles away. The future of the bar is in question because of structural problems, and friends and fans are trying to figure out how to save Byron's. Art Cullen, who's a regular at Byron's, as well as being the Pulitzer Prize-winning editor of the Storm Lake Times pilot, wrote a column calling for an uprising of love to save the bar. To help us understand the magic of Byron's, we have called Ree Irwin. She lives in Sac City and has been a regular at Byron's for 12 or 13 years. Hello, Ree. Good morning. Thank you for being here. And tell me what first took you to Byron's Bar. <laughs> um, my husband and I, my husband Steve and I, we had heard of Byron's um, and on a whim one Sunday afternoon decided to go. Uh, that particular show uh, was James Armstrong. It was an amazing show. Um, and we've been going ever since. We've been regulars ever since. So, so when you walked into Byron's Bar, what thoughts went through your head the, that very first time? <laughs> um, Byron's is, and I, and I say this with love, this is, it is truly a dive bar. Um, any other night of the week, you know, it's, it's bespeckled with Grateful Dead paraphernalia and pictures all over the walls, but it's a, a dive bar. And any other, other night of the week, that's, that's what you'll get. Right. On Sunday night, it becomes a magical place. It's a listening room where you go and listen to the musicians and listen to the music um, and have the opportunity to hear some really great bands. Well, and I was just talking to Byron about how this community has really grown around these musical performances and around him. Um you probably can can see things a little differently from a, a little bit of an outsider's perspective. Tell me about that community that Byron has created. The people in Byron's run the gamut. There are people of 
varying political viewpoints. There are people of varying um, socioeconomic backgrounds. I mean, very, very different people. But they all go to Byron's because of their love of the music and the opportunity to hear live music performed. And Byron told me that that once these musical performances really caught on, he hasn't had to make any phone calls to book any bands because musicians really want to play Byron's. But that that probably still means that some musicians come into play. They've been told, oh, you definitely want to play Byron's. And they come into Pomeroy and they come into the bar and they think, what? What what am I doing yes. here? That, that's one of my, I absolutely love getting there a little bit early before a new band arrives, if we have the opportunity. And watching them come into the, to the town or watching them come into the bar with that expression on their face of, what is this and why am I here? Because there are not many people in downtown Pomeroy. And one of the musicians even mentioned once about how he saw a tumbleweed blowing down Main Street. <laughs> so um, the, the, what it looks like and what it becomes are so totally, it, it transforms into a magical place. Now, I have heard that you are the leader of Byron's Dancers. <laughs> Tell me about that's, this. <laughs> that's not exactly correct. But <laughs> um, you, you know the saying, dance like no one is watching? Mm-hmm. People say that, but they don't really mean it. At Byron's, they do mean it. If there is a song on that makes you feel like dancing, you get up and you dance. If there's a song that makes you cry, Byron has a box of tissues ready for you. If there's a song that makes you laugh, you can bust out in a full belly laugh. The only thing you can't do is talk when the music is playing. Or you will be shushed. You will be shushed. <laughs> you will be shushed. So it, it sounds to me like Byron's Bar is such a special place, the kind of place that you're not going to find in other places in western Iowa, in rural Iowa. But it also sounds like the kind of thing that you're you're not going to find pretty much anywhere. This is really unique. It is very unique. It is very unique. Um, the the quality of the musicians that he gets there are amazing. Um, the opportunity to have this small venue, um, the, you know, this tiny little space where you're interacting with the musicians and getting to hear them, it it is it's truly magical. Byron himself is obviously an important part of that magic. Tell me more about Byron. <laughs> um. He's one of the most um, genuine and kind people I know. He greets you with a hug and ends his conversations wish, wishing you peace. And he means that. Um, it's a, you know, he, he wishes the best for all people and, and works to help people bring out the best in them. Um, as I've said several times, it's a magical place. And I'd hate to see this magical place lost because there's little enough magic in the world. A few years ago, you were part of an effort to raise money to help repair the roof of Byron's. I mean, this is not the first time there's been a problem. No. Um, it's an old building. It's a small venue. And even when it's packed with a lot of people, there's not a huge number of people there. Um, so 
Byron is known for his Halloween shows, and he's also known for the way he dresses. Um, he bib overhauls a tie-dyed sweatshirt or a tie-dyed T-shirt, and then um, Crocs. So he has a certain look. Um, one year for about, for ha- Halloween, um, we had um, Halloween or we had paper masks um, made up with his face, a picture of him. And people donated money, and they got the 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 paper mask, and everybody wore the key bib overhauls and the tie-dyed shirts, and everybody in the audience or everybody who was attending looked like Byron that night. There are pictures that you'll find. It's it's a they're great pictures online. Oh, that's fun! And that's how you raised the money for the roof. Correct. Correct. This is a much bigger problem. What was your reaction when you heard? It's worrisome, uh, and I hope I hope that he's able. I hope we're able to find a solution for him. Why do you think a place like Byron's needs to needs to be saved? My husband and I both have, or in my case, had. I'm a former teacher, high stress jobs, and as many studies have shown, um, music is healing. Music is magic. It. In- gauges different networks of the brain, and listening to music can change your mood and reduce stress and anxiety. And a Sunday afternoon show at Byron's helps give you calm. Um, It helps you see people in their best light, um, gives you the opportunity to meet with people that you might not have otherwise known or met with, um, and creates a, a new family. Ree, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you very much, and I hope I hope we're able to save this little magical place. Ree Irwin is a regular at Byron's Bar in Pomeroy, and we're talking about Byron's Bar because Byron Stewart was recently informed that he has 90 days to get the building inspected and deal with structural problems or the bar will be shut down. Friends and fans are hoping to find a way to save this special place. Dave Hearn is a regular at Byron's as well. He's also a retired musician who's performed at the bar. He's a former member of the Hawks and other bands and a member of the Iowa Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He's the owner of Silhouette Media. Hello, Dave. Hi. Thank you so much for talking with me. And tell me what went through your mind when you heard that Byron's might get shut down. Well... I was horrified, <laughs> to be honest. I uh, I couldn't imagine that that would ever happen. And uh, I mentioned Art Cullen wrote a column hoping to, to get people excited about coming together to save Byron's. Did your mind immediately travel to what can we do to stop this from happening? Well, my very first thought was, oh, no, what can we do? And uh, then uh, a friend of mine that's also a regular at the bar called me up and and suggested that we uh, start a committee to uh, uh, investigate what can be done. And so we're doing that. So, Dave, you're not just a regular at Byron's. You've also performed there. Tell me what it's like to perform at Byron's Bar. Well, it's a special thing. It's uh, uh, a place that is a community, 
And as a performer, you can go there and you can try out when I performed there, which was a, a while ago, the uh, I was debuting a bunch of brand new songs for an album I was putting out that no one had heard before. And I had a full house and people responded to every song and there was just so much love in the room. It's, uh, th that's part of it. The other part of it is, is that the stage, which is not really a stage, it's just the floor, is a magic sounding place when you play there. So what you imagine you would like to sound like is what you sound like when you're playing at Byron. Now, wait a minute. We, we've talked a lot so far in this show about some of the things that make it special, but you're, are you telling me that it's an acoustically perfect environment? Well, it is, especially for acoustic music or, or relatively soft music. Uh, rock bands do play there, and they sound fine, too. But, uh, boy, for a singer-songwriter, it's just ideal. I know that Byron has been known to shush people who make noise or talk when a musician is performing. Is that part of what makes it spe such a special place to play, that the, the audience is really, truly attentive? Well, that's, it's the whole key. The, uh, uh, you know, the, so many people that go there have been there before. And many of us have been there so many times that nobody has to really be told. Occasionally, there are Byron's virgins there, and uh, and Byron always does gently remind them, or sometimes not so gently, that it's a listening room and that we're here for the music. And if you want to talk, you can go outside. And uh, people do understand that. And if they don't, uh, there's a general community response to that. So it really is the culture of Byron. The regulars are, have become such good friends with each other and the uh, people that they tend to invite and the people that manage to find their way to tiny Pomeroy to uh, see a show there kind of understand when they come in that, boy, this place is special. This is a music venue. Uh, one of the things I was thinking about when you uh, said that you wanted to talk to me was how, the, although it's a bar, it doesn't give you the right idea because it's really a community that serves drinks. And um, you just don't have, you don't have fights. You don't have arguments. You don't have um, people talking. You have a community of music lovers. And that's what makes it special. I mean, aside from Byron himself, who is extraordinary. Well, I've heard so many musicians tell horror stories about playing in bars over the years because of all of those things that you just said you don't have at Byron's. It, it makes me wonder, I mean... It's such a unique place. Is there, have you ever experienced any other place that you would compare it to? I never have. Um, in my life, I've been to a lot of bars and I've played a lot of bars. And 
they're all pretty much the same, even the famous ones. Um, I think the closest thing that I can relate it to would be the Troubadour in Los Angeles, which is a pretty famous place where a lot of uh, artists play. Uh, but even that is set up with a two-drink minimum and uh, real high uh, prices to get in, and you're dealing with celebrities, and <laughs> um, it's just a completely different environment, although people do listen there. The uh, Byron's is, is more like the church of music. People were so relieved that Byron was able to make it through the pandemic and resume performances and that this space, this culture, this community, this family still existed. This must feel like such a blow to, to have it be at risk again. Well, it's it's unnerving. The prospect of having it not there is is just plain frightening to all of us. And uh, we're going to try to do whatever we can to uh, to help. I know that Byron has been really moved and overwhelmed by the people reaching out to him. I know that you're part of this committee that, that is getting together in the hopes of saving the bar. Have you been surprised by how far-reaching the impact is of Byron's and, and the people that have been coming together and, and trying to make connections to see what can be done? To be honest, I'm not surprised at all. There are musicians from all over the country and outside the country, as a matter of fact, that are already lining up to do whatever they can. And... Uh, we can't lose this opportunity, I don't think, to uh, to to come together for him. The uh, uh, Art Cullen suggested that we raise a hundred dollars from a thousand people, and uh, you know, I believe it's possible. I believe it's absolutely possible. And hopefully, some, if we could put together a fund like that, we can save the place. Dave, thank you so much for talking with me. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Dave Hearn is a retired musician, member of the Iowa Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and a regular at Byron's Bar in Pomeroy. We've been talking about Byron's Bar this hour because owner Byron Stewart has been given 90 days to get the building inspected and deal with structural problems or the bar will get shut down. Last night, a committee called Friends of Byron's held their first meeting. They're working on a fundraising strategy and preliminary planning has begun for a benefit concert. You can find updates on the bar's Facebook page. Search for Byron's in Pomeroy, Iowa. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer.
It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. Last week, the Iowa Rock and Roll Hall of Fame announced its class of 2024. And here at Iowa Public Radio, we were all very excited to discover a familiar name on the list in the support person category, Phil Moss. Phil is a technical producer here at IPR, and his skills are what make the vast majority of the live music you hear on IPR, especially on IPR Studio One, sound so good. But he wasn't really nominated, at least not just for his work at IPR. He's been the sound guy for many incredible musicians over the years, and none of them would have sounded as good without him. Phil Moss, welcome to the other side of the microphone. Hey, Charity, how are you? I'm good. It is wonderful to have you here. And before we talk about the music, I want to talk about you. So you grew up in Swarthmore, Pennsylvania, listening to Philadelphia radio stations. WXPN. All right. When did you get into live music? I started uh, playing drums in a band uh, in high school. And both guitar players in that band were music snobs. And they always wanted to listen to the most far out stuff that uh, we could hear on the radio. And uh, uh, WXPN used to have a show called Dias Bar, and that was all electronic stuff. And then in general, WXPN played whatever the heck they wanted to, uh, whenever the heck they wanted. They wanted. So it, we had a really nice resource in that station being local to us. And, you know, it was years before, I mean, uh, World Cafe wasn't on yet. Uh, but so that was part of it. And then the other thing I found is I was fascinated with TV shows like Midnight Special and uh, the radio show King Biscuit Flower Hour. And because you got to see people making the music live. And I always found that to be just a fascinating thing. So as a drummer, I'm guessing you had your sights set on fame and fortune yes. as a rock star, right? Oh, you know it. Because <laughs> every because you know, everybody everybody gets to be a rock star, right? right. Sooner <laughs> sooner or later. <laughs> Little did I know that it required a lot of practice and uh, I was not disciplined enough to do that. Now I'm I'm gonna quibble a little bit because no offense to drummers, but I have to say that I think the skill set you have as an audio engineer is a lot more complicated than it could be. drumming. It could be. Uh, drumming you just have to have uh, completely independent control of all four of your uh, <laughs> limbs uh, at the same time. It's not easy. So, so no, it's not. In the, my high school band, we decided, uh, I decided I was going to buy a small PA so that we could uh, hear ourselves and uh, and other people could hear us too. I'm sure the neighbors were really happy about <laughs> that. And uh, But I started fiddling with, with the PA and I started fiddling with my, my dad's tape recorder and things like that. So all things audio really interested me. And uh, I taped, uh, oh, we did a radio play uh, one summer. Uh, you know, I, I just love uh, fiddling with All that right. stuff. So those audio skills, you, you started acquiring those audio skills as an amateur. Yeah. When did you decide that, that this was something you were going to pursue professionally? Well, when I went to college, I went to Oberlin. I tried to get into the conservatory and failed the audition several times. And uh, I made friends with some folks in the Folk Music Society. And they 
asked me if I could help them with their concerts. And uh, my boss, uh, I worked at the student union, and my boss provided the PA, and so I started doing that. Uh, and I did that throughout college. Uh, not very complex setups, really, uh, you know, solo singer-songwriters, but I, I met Tom Paxton that way and sat and we had several beers after his show. Then uh, after college, I, I, I moved to San Francisco and I was convinced that I was going to meet up with the Grateful Dead and I was going to run sound for the Grateful Dead. And th- that never happened. <laughs> so, But you did break into the music scene and you've been working professionally since 1980. Right. I, I got a, a friend of mine that I went to high school with, uh, was a booking agent in Madison, Wisconsin, and called me up and he wanted me to come visit uh, him in Madison. And I said, well, I, I can't really do that. And he said, well, what if I get you a, a, like a temporary job? And I said, well, I'll, sure. Okay, I'll, I'll do that. So he calls back a few weeks later and he says, well, I've got a band that needs a sound man. And I said, well, I don't think I can do that. And he said, well, all you have to do is show up sober. (laughs) You don't have to stay sober. You just have to show up sober. And this was very convenient because I I, I had started in San Francisco. I took a class with the guy who used to run sound for the Jefferson Airplane. And he, he actually taught me a lot. He didn't believe he taught me a lot. When I told him I was leaving to go to Wisconsin to run sound for a bluegrass band, he kind of scoffed and said, well, yeah, good luck with that. And I went, and uh, it was just supposed to be like a two-week trial run, and they uh, kept me for two years. So wow. they finally fired me at the end of my second summer because so, they couldn't pay me. Ah, so they, st- they still owe you some money. Yeah, yes, they do. If you're listening, yeah. you know where to find them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was, that was really a sea change for you. That was what sent you in this direction. And I'm sure that there are times when you feel like your job is loading and unloading vans yeah. um, and, <laughs> and running cables. But so much of what you do is invisible to people. I mean, it, it's such an important part of the live music experience, the recorded music experience. But a lot of people who love live music just don't know what a sound guy does. So just briefly, can you tell us? Sure. You're actually doing two things at once. Uh, you're being an audience member. So you're trying to make the best sound possible for your, you know, yourself so that it's as enjoyable as it can be for the audience. But then you're also running monitors for the artist. So the monitors are, uh, you're feeding the monitor, uh, their signal back to them so they can hear what they're doing. And so that's a whole separate mix. You're doing things like changing the tone on the guitar. Maybe you make it fatter. Maybe you're making it thinner. How essy is the voice? Is it too much? Is it not enough? And you're, you're trying to make it audible and understandable. Uh, I had a band once at, uh, at Stebbs here in Cedar Falls that, uh, God rest its soul, they were from Illinois. And I did a sound check with them, and that guy came back to me. He says, man, that's, that's great. That, this sounds great. Really, really nice. And I said, okay, good, good. We'll have a fun night. And he said, you got to turn the vocals down. 
And I said, well, but I'm understanding the vocals. And he said, that's not our sound. You have to. So he had me turn the vocals down to just to the point where you couldn't understand what he was saying. Uh, uh. <laughs> so you're trying, to, you're trying to please the artist. And, of course, audience members came up and said, you know, I can't understand the vocals. And I said, well, that's what he that's wants. That's the sound. That's the, that's the thing. And so, yeah, so you're, you're, working for the, you're working for the venue. You're also working for the band. And you're working for the audience, all, all three at once. And so, and the effort is to make it not hurt. That's my main goal, make it not hurt. And we've all heard shows where uh, the guitars are really harsh or the vocals yeah. are really harsh. We've all heard that. I'm trying to avoid that because my hearing can't stand it. And if I, if I can't stand it, then I'm, I would prefer to be at home, you know? <laughs> right, right. So that's, so that's basically it. So after that bluegrass band stiffed you, um, yeah. <laughs> you ended up going to to work with Bo Ramsey. That's right. There was an agent in uh, I don't know where, and we had done some shows for him. And he also happened to be Bo Ramsey's agent. And uh, he called me up and he said, uh, "Hey, I've got a band down in Iowa that needs a sound guy." Sent me a demo, and I really loved it because every time it, it was on cassette, every time I popped the tape into my cassette player. It was like a completely different sound coming out. And it was just that interesting. And it was very smooth. And it grooved tremendously well. And it, and it was Bo's demo. And so Bo had me come down to Pete and Tilly's uh, in Cedar Rapids. That's no longer there either. And the guy who was running sound uh, was Frank Holst, who used to run River City Sound out of the Quad Cities. And he said, well, sit at the bar, drink a bunch of beer, and uh, watch me work. When tomorrow you'll mix it. So I mixed the second night, and Bo had me stay. He was staying in a hotel, and I, I went and stayed with him. I said, Bo, what'd you think? He said, well, it's okay. It's a little loud, but you did fine. So uh, he kept me for the next 18 months. Well, why don't we listen to a little bit of Bo Ramsey as recorded by Phil Moss. This is Back No More. Which way to go. I knew I couldn't go back. I couldn't go back there no more. Back no more. Just a little bit of Back No More, Bo Ramsey. And Phil, when you spent time working with these individual artists, and you have worked with a lot of them over the years, was the goal to embed yourself with that band and stay as long as you could? Or what was your goal? I thought that if I hitched my wagon... To the right star, I would get to where I wanted to be. I had I thought Bo was going to be it. I thought the bluegrass band was going to be it. So yeah, that was that was my goal that that yeah. I was gonna I was gonna try to work with somebody who would then take I'd go up with them, right. and that has that is a pretty common thing that happens. You know, widespread panic. They, they've had their sound man forever. Uh, bands like that, you know. 
they once they find people they like to work with, they just hold on to them. And I'd hope that would be the case with uh, with all of these bands. You started working at KUNI, which gave you a study employment while you continued to to work i mean obviously you've done an incredible amount of sound work for KUNI and for Iowa Public Radio you continued to work with all of these artists as well and i mean i i'm sure that although some of those sound technicians hit the big time with their band there are probably many more who have a kind of career like you have, where you've worked with so many individual artists and done solid work for so many different kinds of music. Has it been a real adventure to get to work with so many different artists and and to work in so many different genres? An adventure. Uh, Okay, that's one word for it. I mean, it's challenging. Uh, More often than not, I'm going in blind. I try to listen to the acts before I go work with them. But a lot of times, especially in the singer-songwriter world, their CD may have a full band on it, but they can only afford to tour solo. And so you just got to, the key to it, I guess, is just be nice and try to find out what they like and what they want and try to give it to them. For the most part, I don't know don't know what people think about, you know, it, it might just be another show. And uh, I honestly, I mean, and, I mean, it, sometimes people make it very clear when they're, you know, screaming at me uh, that, uh, that they're unhappy. But you just try to interpret what they tell you at, to the best of your ability and, and try to fulfill what they need. Yeah, it's a, it, it can be intimidating. A lot of times you're just making your best guess. There's so many things you try to understand, like the mood of the artist, the, you know, try to match the style as best you can. I'm not always successful at that. I, that's one problem I had. Uh, you're, you're a pretty humble guy, Phil, I have to say. And I, you know, I've heard people talk about the work that you do. And I've heard the word wizard. I've heard magical you know, obviously you have a skill set. You're not using magic. But but to people who don't have your skill set, that's what it sounds like. That's what it looks like. And you are a guy who does amazing work, but you've never gotten a lot of recognition. What does being inducted into the Iowa Rock and Roll Hall of Fame mean to you? Well, I will join... Some people I know, a lot of Eastern Iowa musicians I know have been inducted, uh, not only for their work with bands, but some many many of them individually. Our own Bob Doerr is twice inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's nice because they've done, they've all done some some good work. Uh, I I was thinking about it yesterday, and I I think I was thinking what was nice is that our own Lindsay Moon and a fellow who used to work for us, Tim Coffey, that they both independently thought enough of my work to nominate me. And I was really pleased with that. And then when uh, the announcement came through uh, last week, uh, I was pleased at the comments from my coworkers and really surprised by many of them. Because, like I said, I don't really hear a lot about whether it's good or bad. 
It's it 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 just is. <laughs> so I so um, a good sound guy, a really good sound guy, is easy to take for granted. Well, it, I'll tell you, it's I mean, the effort really is to be invisible. You just you don't want to be there at at all. In fact, my my sculpture teacher in, at Oberlin, uh, when she found out that I'd. Uh, moved on to running sound after uh, graduation. She said, "Well, Phil, your uh, your 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 sculptures got smaller and smaller and smaller, and were uh, up for less and less and less time, and then they just disappeared." I loved that image. That it just you know now it's now it's just in the air. Yeah. You know, you're sculpting you're sculpting stuff in the air. But it's it's very good, Phil. Oh, it's thank very you. Very good stuff. Well, thank you. Phil, thank you so much for talking with me. Oh, you bet. Happy to do it. And congratulations. Thanks. Phil Moss is a technical producer at Iowa Public Radio, an audio engineer for countless bands, and a member of the 2024 class of inductees to the Iowa Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We're going to play out with a little bit of Pocketful of Money by the Blue Band. Phil spent eight and a half years with the Blue Band, doing 175 shows a year. Got enough to go my way Talk of Iowa is a production of IPR News. This episode was produced by Maddie Willis and Caitlin Troutman. I'm Charity Nebbe.